You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. thinking about Esau, we're thinking about the Old Testament saints, we're thinking about the privileges and the knowledge and the wisdom that we possess as it relates to the coming Savior today. Those messages, those verses of scripture that we just considered, Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 22 and verse 18, they were not detailed messages. In fact, the fulfillment of those verses of scripture were yet to take place some 2,000 years in the future. Today's Christians are so fortunate, they have access to not only the Bible, but to reference material to help make the message of the scriptures as clear as possible. Not to mention the Holy Spirit, who is available to any believer who asks for his help. But as you'll hear in Pastor Mike's teaching today, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, had only their faith and their relationship with God to guide them. You'll learn how to appreciate the tools you've been given to make your link with God stronger. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 25 as he continues his message, Our Birthright. He thought so little of spiritual advantages that he was willing to forfeit it for a bowl of beans. Notice, go back to our text in verse 32. He expresses this sentiment by saying, what good is the birthright to me? And I'm kind of loosely paraphrasing here, but that's basically what he declares. So Jacob made him swear an oath selling his birthright to him and then he fed him. Now, the next words in our text, let's go jump ahead to verse 34, are meant to be derogatory, distasteful, critical, as they describe Esau's crass, materialistic nature. Verse 34, let's read it once again. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, then he ate and drank, Mark those two words. He arose, went his way, and thus Esau despised his birthright. You see, eat, drink, and be merry was Esau's mantra. And that sums up Esau's character. That was his philosophy that allowed him to let spiritual matters slide. And I got to tell you something. I fear that this description is the same of many 
today, even within the church. And I would remind you here, before we even go on, that Esau was a believer. But unfortunately, this sort of attitude about the importance of spiritual things is absent in the lives of some people who claim to have taken the name of Christ. Think about this. Esau was a believer. He wasn't a Hebrew. Think about his background. Think about his heritage. He was Abraham's grandson. (laughs) For what that was worth, Abraham's grandson, the father of the faith. I mean, we've spent the last several months learning from this man the work that God had done in his life from the very beginning of God commissioning him and calling him out from his own father's house there in Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, and then bringing him into the land of Canaan and everything in between. We spent the last several months considering this man, the father of the faith. He was a giant in his generation. And so don't you think that it rubbed off on the other members of his family? You bet it did. So he had this heritage behind him. He was also the son of Isaac and Rebekah. So if anyone was born, raised with an abundance of spiritual advantages, certainly it was Esau. And yet, in spite of that, he sold it all for a mess of pottage, a bowl of beans, lentils, just as some do today, in spite of their deep, prolonged exposure to Christianity. What happens in the life of a person who came through the church, who was brought by their mother and father, raised within the church? You know, I'm so glad. My wife and I raised five kids, and most of my kids, with the exception of my youngest daughter, Jessie, who is now living in Toronto, but she attends church up there. She attends one of the Calvaries up there, as well as another Bible teaching church close by where she lives, are all here in this fellowship. And I'm so thankful that none of them walked away from the Lord. But it happens, particularly PK's pastor's kids. We hear about that all of the time. When they hit that place of having to make their own decision, when they stand at the crossroads in their life's experience, whether they're going to continue to walk on with the Lord or turn their back upon Him. And you think about all of the years that were invested in those children instilling within them a godly heritage. You just hope and you pray and you trust that all of the energy spent will pay off. I'm just so thankful that all of my children are here in this fellowship and are serving the Lord. But it does happen, unfortunately. And there are those that when they begin to be adults, they turn their backs upon God and they walk away. And so he sold it all for a mess of beans just as some do today, in spite of their deep, prolonged exposure to Christianity. So let me ask you this question, and only you can answer this, because only you really knows what's going on in your own personal life, when you're away from the body, when you're alone with God. Let me ask you this question. Are you one of those people? Are you despising your birthright and what that birthright represents? Choosing instead the savory but passing pottage of the world and what the world has to offer? Listen, if you have not fully committed your life to Jesus Christ and are not going on with him to maturity with all of the wonderful resources that he's made available to us 
for that occupation. And I love that about Christianity. That's the thing that separates Christianity from all religions, which are not really true religions at all, which define for us God's ideal and then leaves it to the worshiper to work it out for himself, whereas Christianity does reveal to us God's divine ideal, as was recorded in the Bible, but then he gives to us the Holy Spirit, the dynamic for Christian living. He gives us all of the wonderful resources that helps us to become the kinds of people that God wants us to become. The Word of God, the study of the Word of God, prayer, fellowship, all of those wonderful resources. Praise God for that. So listen, if you have not fully committed your life to Christ and are not going on with Him to perfection, and by the way, this is a lifelong process, it began upon your conversion experience when you were born again of the Spirit of God, when you invited Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life. And it continues right up until the very time when you stand before the Lord, when Jesus comes back the second time for his church. It's a part of a process. You'll often hear me use this illustration, but we might as well have a sign hanging around our neck under construction. The Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be as he is, and not before again. So whether you're a new Christian, just recently given your life to Christ, or the senior pastor of the church, God's still working his work in us and through us. Isn't that true? And what a wonderful work that is. So all of these wonderful resources that are available to you. So this is precisely what you're doing if you're neglecting these things. The truth of the matter is, you're an Esau. And Hebrews refers to Esau as a godless person. You might think that everything is okay with you, that you're respectable and received of the Lord, acknowledged within the community of Christ. But how does God see you? And I think that's what we need to be more concerned about. Okay, so with that said, what's at stake here? Well, let's go on now to describe the birthright that you're forfeiting, with hopes of you're gaining a greater appreciation for what is available to us. And that becomes our third point as well. The birthright you're forfeiting. First of all, the benefits of Jesus' death. And we're going to go into that in just a moment. The benefits of Jesus' death. Now, in comparison, I want you to think about Esau. I want you to think about some of the early characters in the Bible, like, for example, Adam and Eve and Abraham. I want you to think about them as it relates to the promises of the coming Redeemer, which was first broadcast. The first mention of the promise of the Redeemer, the Savior, is recorded for us in the book of Genesis in chapter 3 in verse 15, when at that time the devil prevailed, and persuaded Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in disobedience to what God had told them to do. And then remember, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, let me turn to it real quick and I'll share it with you. And by the way, this is the first reference to the Savior, the Messiah, anywhere in the Bible. And I will put enmity, this is God speaking to the serpent, the devil, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, 
and you shall bruise his heel. Referring to the work that Jesus would accomplish. Triumphing over sin and the devil and the kingdom of darkness as he hung there upon the cross. So the first broadcast of the promise of the coming Redeemer was given to Adam and Eve and recorded for us in the book of Genesis in chapter 3 and then in verse 15. And then secondly, it was broadcast and recorded to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, if you quickly turn there with me, in verse 18, God speaking to Abraham, let him know, in your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because it was through his seed, through his line, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, our Lord, would come. So that's the reference there to Jesus. Because you have obeyed my voice. Okay. In comparison, we're thinking about Esau, we're thinking about the Old Testament saints, we're thinking about the privileges and the knowledge and the wisdom that we possess as it relates to the coming Savior today. Those messages, those verses of Scripture that we just considered, Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 22 and verse 18, they were not detailed messages. In fact, the fulfillment of those verses of Scripture were yet to take place some 2,000 years in the future. So therefore, Esau may have been excused in some measure. I mean, he didn't have the complete picture. But listen, this is not true of any of us today. Remember, the point that I'm trying to make is make sure that you don't forfeit your birthright. All of what God has made available to you today. So what was true of Esau, not having complete knowledge, all of the details, all of the T's crossed, all of the I's dotted, everything falling into place, this is not true of any of us today. Because mankind has had this knowledge for almost 2,000 years now. So here's the question. Will you sell the privilege of becoming a Christian? What are those privileges? How about your sins forgiven? The promise of having fellowship and communion with the holy God. Huh. And for what? For the secular stew that the world has to offer? A bowl of beans? Come on. So that's the first thing that you're forfeiting. All of what comes to us through the death of Jesus Christ. Our sins being forgiven the capacity to have fellowship and communion with the Holy God, being able to become members of God's family. We are now called the children of God, sons and daughters of God. We can cry out in time of need, Abba, Father. What a privilege that is. So that's certainly a part of our birthright. And then secondly, if you're not fully committed to Christ and have failed to go on with him, with, as I mentioned before, all of the wonderful resources that are ours and available to us. There's no excuses for any of us not to be able to go on to maturity. Well, then think about this. All of those resources available, sources of strength, therefore you are forfeiting the benefits of God's written word, the Bible. You say, what am I talking about? Well, how about the counsel of the Word of God, the leading of the Word of God, the direction 
from the Word of God. The comfort that is derived from studying the Word of God. The strength. Paul put it this way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Oh, I can't overemphasize the importance of studying the Word of God, appreciating the Word of God, digging in to the Word of God, praying over it. But presumably, think about this, put two people alongside of one another. Here's someone who's committed to Christ. Here's someone who's not committed to Christ. I'm thankful that no one's sitting in these chairs this morning because I wouldn't want to use you as an example. But here's the Christian. Man, he can't get enough of studying the Word. And he's not totally dependent upon me to come to one of our midweek services or Sunday morning services so that I can spoon-feed him the Word of God. He's digging in. He's reading it whenever he has the opportunity to read it. Every day, he starts his day, brushes teeth, sitting in his living room, in his easy chair, before he does anything, before he even has breakfast, opens up the Word and is reading it. Praise God. That's what we need to do. Whatever your schedule allows you. It might be uh, opening the Bible, listening to a Bible teaching tape on your way to work on public transportation here in New York. That's probably a good bet. That's probably a more accurate example of how you guys study the Word. But nevertheless, you're digging in deeper. You've become a serious student of the Word of God. And then here's the unbeliever who's not committed to going on in his relationship with God. He holds spiritual things extremely loosely. Presumably, then, that person isn't studying the Word. You know, i got to tell you, let me use this as an example. Get a phone call. Pastor Mike, need to talk to you. Do you have some time that we can spend together? Yeah, sure, come on in. I'm in on Tuesdays for counseling, and we set up the appointment. They come in, and that person's sitting across my desk, and he begins to broadcast the things that are going on in his life, and things have fallen apart, and his relationship with God is lacking. It's not what it used to be like. His enthusiasm has weaned. I'm just listening to all of this. He's going on and on and on and on. He's telling me how things have gotten really bad, spiritually speaking. And then there's a break. And I always respond by asking him the same question. Whoever comes into my office, how much time do you spend reading God's Word on a daily basis. And inevitably, they'll respond, well, you know what? I haven't read it in months. Well, therein lies the problem right there. Get into the Word. So presumably, then, the person who is not committed to going on in his walk and his relationship with the Lord is not studying the Bible, is not giving himself over to the study of the Word. Not only is he not reading it, and he's not praying over it, which, by the way, is a good thing to do. Some people, they get into all of these crazy programs. I don't know where they get this idea from. You don't have to, like, speed read through the Bible, okay? Just take a portion of Scripture daily. I mean, there's so many study helps that will help you to accomplish this. But if you can't get over to your Bible bookstore or whatever, I mean, you can go online and get one of those study helps. But, you know, just choose one book of the Bible. For example, the book of Ephesians or the Gospel according to John. And you don't even have to take a chapter. You could just read, but read it like expositionally. Take, for example, the first five verses of Scripture and then read it and then chew on it and meditate upon it. And then after you've done that, ask yourself a couple of questions. How does this relate to me? How can I put it to practice as I walk out the door now in personal experience? 
and then pray over it. We need to pray over the word as we study it. We need to read it. We need to pray over it. We need to lay up its truths in our hearts. We need to hide those things deep within our hearts. So let me ask you this question. Do you appreciate this treasure that God has left for us? The Bible? Everything that we need to know has been recorded for us and preserved here in this book. Do we appreciate this treasure? Esau can almost be excused for his materialism. Why was that? Someone, come on, a pop quiz. Why? Julie, come on, tell us. You're sitting in the front row. You should never sit in the front row. Because he didn't have a Bible. Right, Julie? I knew you were going to say that. Okay. I was reading in her mind. He didn't have a Bible. But now, the Bible is everywhere. It's on sale in virtually every bookstore. Secular, Christian, it doesn't matter. You know, go get yourself over to Barnes and Nobles. They have a whole section on spirituality. I love it. There's sections they refer to it as spirituality. You know what really bothers me? Can I get this off my chest? Will you allow me to get this? Okay, thank you. I've been waiting to get this off my chest. There's this crazy commercial that they've been airing now on TV. And this girl comes on. I, she may be sitting in a lotus position. And she's like speaking into the camera. And she says, well, I consider myself a very spiritual person. You know what the ad is for? Candles. So that's how people determine whether they're spiritual or not, whether they have candles in their homes. Oh, my gosh. How far we've deviated from the truth and the knowledge of the truth. So anyway, thank you for allowing me to get that off my... I feel a lot better now. The Bible is everywhere. It's on sale in virtually every bookstore with tons of versions scholarly translations, paraphrases. We have commentaries. We have Bible dictionaries. We have encyclopedias. We have scores of study helps. Listen, no race in history is as blessed as us. So do we despise the Word of God? Think about this. Have we no time for the study of God's Word? A little bit of trivia, and I hope that this helps you to gain even a greater appreciation. But when the moderator of the Church of Scotland participates in the coronation service of a king or queen of England, he presents the new monarch with the Bible, and he shares these words, the following words, and I love this. Quote, the most precious thing this world affords the most precious thing that the world knows, God's living word. And then he presents the Bible to them. Don't you just love that? In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, 
it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.